Welcome to the podcast about two good friends sharing stories to surprise and delight each other. I'm Courtney Farrell. And I'm Mason New. And this is I Got One For You. Welcome back to I Got One For You. I'm Courtney Farrell. And this is Mason New. And this is a podcast about a conversation between two friends just talking about things that interest us and bring us a little joy. So we're glad you're here. So, so Court, I got one for you. Okay. So I don't know about you, but I've been stuck in the house for the last year, <laughs> and it's freezing cold out now. It's almost like, oh, you thought 2020 was bad? Here, here's 2021. You're going to be stuck in the house, and it's freezing cold. So I started working on trying to get my my office back in shape. Oh, good right. luck. Yeah, it's pretty tough. And I was thinking about this. You know, we I, and you and I have shared a love of books for ever. And we have got books on top of books on top of books all over the place. But in my office, I don't have any. Come on. Are you serious? Yeah, and it was it was strange to me. I think that's strange. Like when you say that, that doesn't feel right. I mean, we have boxes. We have boxes of books. We have books stuffed under tables. We have books that are tables. I mean, you know, like <laughs> just keep piling them high enough, you can put a drink right on top of them. <laughs> so, so I, I was trying to make a commitment to just like, all right, well, wait a minute. You used to love books so much. You were surrounded by them all the time, and you're surrounded by them in other parts of your house. Why are they not here? And I'm I'm still perplexed by this, but do you have bookcases in your office? Well, no. Okay, <laughs> so that may be that the may first be clue. the problem. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I can't figure out why there are no books up here. <laughs> you, you got no any. place to put them. So but, I I I, I kind of just jump in because yeah, I think it's, I've been doing taxes all day, so I've got that you know like tax haze, really fun stuff. Bookkeeping. But yeah, bookkeeping. <laughs> um, Nicely done. And I, I love the idea of just even the idea of books. Like for me, they, they, they are the most prized possession that we have in our house. Mm-hmm. And that's children's books all the way through to the ones that just had pretty covers that I can't bring myself not to have on the shelf because they just look nice. Right. I mean, it's, just, it's amazing how much comfort they bring me. And sometimes... If I read a book and I love it, I cannot get rid of it. It needs to now go on the bookshelf. And when I pass by it, it's as if I'm seeing an old friend. Mm -hmm. And there's something very – each book sort of becomes a a life in our home. It's true. A full-on life, and I cannot imagine giving it away. I mean, there's no digital app that you could give me that would bring me – any amount of joy, I want to hold it and I want to touch I it. I want the color. I want the thumbprint from when I was eating a chocolate candy bar and turned the page and where it ripped or whatever it is. I want it all. I agree. I, I have a friend who has an expression that says, never trust anyone who doesn't have books. I I think I already embody that. Yeah. I And when we were looking at houses, I remember, you know, Melissa would walk into the house and would look at all the architectural design things and sort of evaluate the structure of the house and I always looked at the bookshelves and the pictures of the people who live there. That's right. We can't live in this house. <laughs> they only have business books. <laughs> There's no nonfiction in here. Well, so I got to thinking though, you know, so I, I thought about 
the is there a difference between writing and books? Now, obviously, there is. The craft of writing is what you end up in. You end up with a book at the end of that. I understand that. But I, I started thinking about the value of them. And is one does does one have a different value than the other? The writing itself, like you talk about poetry writing or songwriting or just scribbling things or blog posts. But a book is something very different than any of those examples of media that I just said. And I wonder why. What, 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 why, why is a book something different than just writing itself? Or is it? I don't know. What do you think? I, I, um, it's an interesting question because... You know, it's funny, both you and I have written a lot in our lives. Again, whether it be a blog post or short stories, to my knowledge, you've never written a book. Is is that correct? That is correct. Okay. I've never published a book. You've never published a book. But, and I've never finished a book and written one completely. That's right. So I, I think that I can say the same thing. I have yet to fully complete a book. Now, I've spent years in the process of attempting to produce one, <laughs> to write one. Um so I do think they are very different things because a book is finished. A book is finished. A book is finished. And there may in lie the great difference between writing and a book. A, mm -hmm. a book is finished and writing can change. Mm -hmm. And it has to change to stay relevant, either in your own mind or in the, the audience you're trying to write for. It changes from the time you begin to write a book to the time you, you end it. And... I, I find they are two completely different things. It's, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, playing soccer or doing your taxes. They are just two completely different mm -hmm. things. It, it is it is a mystery to me. I mean, as somebody who loves writing, taught literature, has thought, you know, majored in English, went to grad school, like all those things, spent a lot of time writing myself, but the book itself is a mystery to me. How it how it actually happens, and what it actually is. So I I think when people say they're going to write a book, um, it I think we all take that at at the purest level. You're going to sit down, paper and pen, or mm -hmm. you know, computer. You're going to type words on a page, and you're going to then take them together and bind them in something that looks and resembles like a book. But the true process of writing a book is. Not at all. Like, that's the least of it. That that part is the least of it. Yes, you have to sit down and write it. But yes, you also have to build an audience mm -hmm. that will be excited about having your book. And yes, you also have to build a, some sort of, you know, clout. If you want to be actually published, right? Right. You either really need to know somebody or you have a background that will sell books. It's right. all about the selling business the of selling yeah, the books. Sure. So the writing of the book and the business of the book if you want to publish a book, has to go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why it gets kind of tricky because writing is a very singular action. I mean, you don't get together with a bunch of your friends and write. Mm -hmm. You can ha try. You can have a writing class. But if you're really going to write a book, that is time spent alone. Solitary. Solitary. Just you and the mighty beast of writing a book. Right. And there are highs and there are many more lows than there are highs. S Stephen King um wrote I, I, Stephen King is not a writer that I've I've only read one short story of his I've never read any of his books that made him famous but he has a book on writing 
It's that, one. It's one of my favorite it's, books. It's a. It's an exceptional book. And he says in there, writing equals ass in chair. That's right. <laughs> and what he also said something about his desk. That the desk. Mm-hmm. He had a really big fancy desk one time, and he put it in the center of his room. He made his office just was all around this desk, and then. What happened? He finally just decided that if you wanted to write, it has nothing to do with the desk. It has just to do with you writing. The desk should be a small little thing in the corner. Is that right? Yeah, it's something like that. And he, and he, I think he put it in a very obscure place in his house, like underneath a stairwell. He or did. Something He's like, like this that. is not about a room with a desk. It's never going to mm-hmm. get you. So I also have never read the books that made him famous, but I, on a whim, picked up on writing. I read the first page and instantly bought it and loved every word of it. But what struck me so much is that he describes in the first couple pages the things he remembers from his childhood. Mm-hmm. So his childhood was just like any of ours, but he remembers the gruesome parts. Like he he huh. distinctly remembers yeah. the color of the blood that he saw on, you know, whoever who cut their finger like mm-hmm. that's what he remembers from the memory mm-hmm. so you think about how he's a horror writer i actually did pick up a book of his recently one of the really? ones and it's 11 63 that's the title 11 63 which is okay. the day that kennedy was shot oh and apparently this could be completely made up but this is what i was told he wrote this book very shortly after kennedy oh. was killed but he didn't publish it until when I say recently, I mean in the 2000s, because mm-hmm. he thought it was too soon. But it is a book about a guy who finds a portal in time and goes Ooh. back in time, and he tries to stop the Kennedy assassination. So, Court, that's really interesting to me because um, that just brought back a memory. The first time that I really felt like I got into the writing process and really became engaged in it was in ninth grade writing my term paper on the Kennedy assassination. Really? Yeah. And it was, so that was, so Ken, what was the date? 11, 22, 63. 63. Yep. Okay. So when I was writing this, um, it must have been, there was a lot about the Kennedy assassination because they were bringing back the conspiracy theories and it started to get more publicity, I guess. So this would have been 88, 89. So that's about the 25th anniversary, I suppose. And that's so right. um, I got really into that topic and wrote our, my term paper for yours and my favorite uh, st- uh, teacher, Mr. Wood, Jay Wood. That's right. Yeah. But I remember that I, one of my sources for that was the Geraldo Rivera show. <laughs> <laughs> that was in my work cited Geraldo <laughs> because he did a whole show on the conspiracy. He did. Oh, well, I'm sure he uncovered all of the, <laughs> the important facts of the case. <laughs> what, was your, uh, what was your take in ninth grade? Were you were you a are you conspiracy theorist? Oh or? yeah, oh, oh yeah, completely. deep into oh, it. Oh, oh yeah, 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 oh yeah. But I don't remember if I if I had a a, a particular. You had group. no patsy. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't recall saying like it was definitely this conspiracy or that conspiracy. It was but just I like, just it was a conspiracy. Yeah, I, I, have, I mean, all of the different like crazy things that all these circumstantial 
things that are surround that event, but I didn't know. I mean, you know, I'm ninth grade, and I'm like, oh, Geraldo said, you know, the man with the black umbrella or whatever it was. (laughs) I have to confess to a little bit of going down that rabbit hole in college, and Mm -hmm. I had a government affairs class, and I had a teacher who I'm sure was an incredibly lovely man. I did not access the loveliness of him. Mm. unfortunately, because I it was a big class. It was at UVA, and I went up to him after. I think he was teaching us about this time frame, and he was not a conspiracy theorist, and I was deep in it at that point. I just read a bunch of different books, and um, who could remember any of them at this point? Right. But this was a big deal back in, you know, 1993 in my mind. And I told him exactly what I thought happened, and he recommended that I not get my uh, thoughts on politics from the movies or from <laughs> Geraldo, Geraldo <laughs> television shows, and even uh-huh. some of the books that I'd chosen. Yeah. So <laughs> I immediately wrote him off as a uh-huh. closed-minded, yeah. uh, and he wasn't my kind of guy. But I'm sure there was a lot more I could have taken away from the class. <laughs> oh well. Oh well. What are you gonna do? So, um, so on that note, um, you know, I was thinking about this conversation that we were going to have. And so I wanted to thank you because, you know, you, you were suggesting that we have a conversation about books or writing or something. And I went back to my office of no books. <laughs> and actually, it's not quite true because there's a separate part of the attic where I am, where I do have a shelf. It's just not my office. Anyway, so I went there, and um, I found a a stack of my old notebooks, which are these moleskin notebooks that I write in all the time. And, I mean, I have a lot of them. And I started reading back through them and, like, finding my little – scribbles in here and then looking at the dates and wow and so mason's showing me right now his notebook that is not it's hardly scribbles it is line after line after line after line of thinking so is this the way you think is this the way you kind of process the world well with- yeah and and apparently i i picked up this one from 2010 and i was writing a lot of quotations from other writers in here so these aren't just my musings got it um and I found this one, and I look, you know, in a book discussion, you can always talk about, I mean, any number of infinite number of books and writers and passages, and, you know, we all have things that we like and don't like. But I opened up the this one notebook of mine, and I found this passage, and it's not the most beautiful passage I've ever read before, but I was really interested and two things. One, I want to read it to you because I think you'll like it. Two, um, I was looking at the date of when I wrote it down. So mm. it was like, why was this important to important me, to me at this particular time? Um, so are you familiar with this book um, by a woman named Beryl Markham called West with the Night? I have never heard her name, but I have heard the title of the book, yes. Okay. I'm not familiar with the book, though. Okay. The book is wonderful okay. in every way. And just to give you a little biography of her so you can understand this quotation. So she grew up on a farm in 
somewhere, I guess, in maybe Western Kenya. Anyway, so um, I, I can't recall the exact country that she grows up in. But anyway, her father was from New Zealand. Her mother either died or left the farm. I can't remember. And the father says something to her like when she's a very young girl, like, okay, I'm going back to New Zealand. And this is, by the way, like 1918 or something like that, turn of the century kind of stuff. So he leaves, and and she's there on the farm by herself. And how old is she? Ten. Uh, oh, come on. I mean, she they they had they people had around, people but, that were her, that were but her employed. people had gone. Her yeah. people had gone, and so she grows up like learning all of these things from the men and women of the different tribes that were around and the people who worked on the farm, and you know she develops this incredible resilience and spirit and and ends up becoming one of the first people in the entire continent of Africa to fly airplanes so she becomes a bush pilot and she would fly to these different outposts you know in the 30s like right at the beginning of aviation and west with the night is about flying and I won't ruin the story and tell you what that's about but anyway so there's sort of these parts of the book are her describing her childhood and going on a lion hunt oh um, and and which the lion was killed with a spear not a gun <laughs> so um, anyway I from my notebook I found this one passage that I had written down in 2010 from this book, West with the Night, and I thought I would read it to you. Um, okay, so she's describing her um, flying, and she says, The wind in the wires is like the teeming of soft silk under the blended drone of engine and propeller. Time and distance together ship smoothly past the tips of my wings without sound, without return. As I peer downward over the night-shadowed hollows of the Rift Valley and wonder if Woody, the lost pilot, could be there, a small human pinpoint of hope and of hopelessness listening to the low, unconcerned song of the avian flying elsewhere. Oh, my gosh. Is the whole book written like that? The whole book is that beautiful with the prose? It is beautiful. It would be a slow book for me to get through simply because you wouldn't want to miss any You word. can't you you ha you just have to digest it. But she, you know, remember that when she's flying in those times, they didn't have any of the navigation equipment that anybody has now. They were doing mathematical calculations on while they were flying based on fuel and wind speed and they weren't really sure where they were going because there are no maps. There's no, there's no, there's. <laughs> You're taking me back to a memory of the first days of my marriage. Oh, God. Where Wordy and I, it's, I, really, I feel a connection to this woman. I'm definitely going to read the book. So Wordy and I went down to Costa Rica and we were going to a little place called Temerindo, which is sort of the, the upper west coast of Costa Rica. And we landed in San Jose, and then we were looking at our ticket, and we shuffled off into this adjunct part of the airport. It felt more like a 
you know, you we went through a couple hallways and I felt like I ended up in somebody's living room where <laughs> uh, a young man who didn't look to be more than 15 asked me to step up on a scale and that I was to hold my bag in my arm uh-huh. on the scale and he was doing the mathematical calculations. <laughs> and um, judging from the shave job he'd done that morning, I didn't think he'd probably be... T- too great at math, but <laughs> at any rate, we get on this airplane, and interestingly, it was it was odd because before we got on, the pilots got on. That's not odd, but it said that we we entered at the back of the plane, and so did the pilots because that was the only door. And then you kind of walk up the aisle, and then the pilots sit in their seats, and every the rest of us sit in ours. Their bus seats, okay? <laughs> you understand? <laughs> Two at a time. It's like Two we're at King's Dominion time. getting on a ride. We pulled on a bar. There is no. There's no, Am I on a roller yeah. coaster or an so airplane. We get on this and and uh, you know I'm not feeling so great about it, but I'm trying to be brave. Reasonable. I mean, first week of marriage, I thought I'd at least continue. So this with, was your honeymoon. This honeymoon. Yeah. Figure continue with the charade that I was tough, <laughs> and um, we take off. We go up in the air. Just got to that place where I counted to 30 because I've someone told me that the first 30 seconds are the most dangerous part of a flight. So I, oh, once I, I get past that, that I kind of breathe easy. And as soon as I got to 30, the sky turned a color black that is impenetrable <laughs> with, a, with a human eye. And you couldn't see anything out the window. Apparently, they have a rainy season in Costa Rica, really mm-hmm. good touristy information that you may want to know before you go. Just go <laughs> that time of year. And this is May. So um, we hit not only the rainy season, but the actual time of the afternoon when it begins to rain with a wolfish mouth black cloud that never ended. And that got scary because now yeah. we're being beaten around like a like a tin, in the bu- on the bus seat. In the bus seat, like a tin can <laughs> being kicked by a kid. I mean, we're going through. And then we look up because we're not far from the from the pilot, and we see that they're look they're trying to look out the window. There are no instruments. There are no oh, instruments on the, on the. There's no light up, you know, electronical, <laughs> neon special things you see when you walk into a Delta flight. Yeah, yeah. None of that exists. They are looking out the window, and I'm telling you, the, you see, there was nothing out the window. Blackness. And um, then we start going down, and we're being beaten around. I mean, at this point, my hand is twisted into, you know, Wordy's uh, shorts. I've twisted them into a knot, and <laughs> even his mouth is sort of getting a little bit tight. And then we start going down, and we hear this beep, 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 beep oh, from no. the front of the. Oh yeah, oh no. And I mean, I, you know, that you hang on to the the handle <laughs> instead of the. There is no seatbelt. Anyway, the plane then takes a complete straight up vertical into the sky so now we are as if we're on a roller coaster going up straight up vertical only it starts to buck do you know what i'm saying oh my like gosh. buck 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 and i'm thinking to myself are you kidding i got one week of marriage like i got one <laughs> week in and this is it like this is the whole thing this is so the you pro- thought for sure you were gonna done die. absolutely yeah. done and uh we we buck up and then after terrifying moments that felt like an hour i'm sure it was six seconds we break out of this cloud, bright, sunny day, break out of it, and there is a mountain Ooh. right on our right. So the beep, beep, beep was the one the electrical one, thing one. that said, you're going down. Because End mountain of the mountain. Right here. Yeah. And um, anyway, only funny because I sent us to Costa Rica because I feel like every single place we go, someone knows my husband. 
And I just thought it'd be nice to have a week where mm-hmm. nobody did. And anyway, we, the pilot comes on. He's speaking in Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. And he, you know, hola, goes through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's in, This guy turns around. We have no idea what he said. The guy turns around and goes, excuse me, are you Worte Ferro? <laughs> and I said, no, yes, I... yes, yes, he is Worte Ferro. He goes, <laughs> I think we went to a school together. Oh, are you kidding me? Do you understand what the pilot just said? I'm like, we don't, we don't. What is it? He said, he said, we're going to go land in Liberia. And uh, so we land in Liberia and everyone gets off the plane. I have now sworn that I've already promised God that I will not get back on the plane. I've made uh-huh. deals with the Lord yeah, at this point yeah, yeah. that are, you know, big, life changing. <laughs> and um, <laughs> then we found out that to get to where we were going, it was a 15-minute flight or a six-and-a-half-hour car ride because the roads were washed out. Uh-huh. So we all just sat down and drank as many beers as we could, before, including the pilots, until we could get back on the plane. <laughs> including the pilots. <laughs> get back on that plane and, and land. Hey, but, just make sure that beeping thing works. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. So West with the Night. Yes, West with the Night by Beryl Markham. Um it's you will love it um and so that actually that leads me to a question for you all right which is and this is sort of funny i was doing something um for a group and i was doing a a survey and i asked this question that i'm about to ask you and this one person got really irritated with that with this question. Am I going to get irritated with the question? So. Okay. I think you're going to like it. It's a pretty it's not a simple question to answer, but so what is your favorite book and why? Okay, I like that question. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I love it. This this person's response was Who's your favorite child and why? You know, like, uh, but you I, know, I get I get that. There's well, so many of course things so, and books come of, at different times of, of course, your life. Of course, of course. You know. And so but it's just more the exercise. It's a great exercise. Figure, figuring it out. Anyway. But so, so I asked you that question. Okay. I, and I in turn would like to know what your answer is. I have an easy answer for me, and it is The Power of One by Bryce Courtney. Mm-hmm. And I read it when I was in high school and I have always I like books about winners I like books about strong people who go through hard things and come out the other side whole people I do not like books about losers I do not want to read a book about you know a drug addict who loses his family who ends up at the end of the story more destitute than he was when he started out just Mm -hmm. that's not where I want to take my reading time right Um, And this story, The Power of One, is about, it starts out about a young boy, five years old is when he starts out, it takes all the way through 18, it's fiction, but it's all, he's growing up in South Africa during apartheid, and, no, I'm sorry, I don't know why I just said that, during World War II, and he, um, he just takes you through what it's like through his life, it is incredible it's amazing the different phases of his life that he goes through Mm -hmm. it's so mirrors i think we sometimes think of our life as being one continual sort of story but in fact i feel it's distinctly broken up into chapters and so when you read this you read his life you feel not the chapters of the book but you feel the chapters of of his life Mm -hmm. these distinct sort of sections of learning 
where he gains knowledge and and has self-growth and then that then takes him on to a completely different scenario but because he had this counter experience it helps him in the next scenario it, it is amazing and when I met Wordy and asked him that same question what's your favorite book he said the power of one. Oh. So I was like, okay, wow. we're, get, we're getting married. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a sign. We're going to get on a plane <laughs> sometime in the future. And go to Costa Rica. <laughs> and it's going to be a near-death experience, but we're going to be reading a chapter of our favorite book. <laughs> So that's my favorite book. I have to admit that since then I have read other books that certainly sort of take me away. But that one is right in the center of the kind of thing I like to read about. Mm -hmm. You know, it's historical fiction. Uh, It's about a strong, you know, a a cute person who's trying to make their way in the world who just endures and overcomes and is curious about life. And then, you know, it takes you all the way to the end. It's all. Have you read it? I have not read it. And, oh, and Mason, you you are probably one of ten people who have recommended it to well, me. Well, don't so. read it yet. Wait till the eleventh person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Then I'll know it's good when it's the eleventh person. No, it's like it. the old joke when the guy's in his house and it starts to rain, and the news comes on and says it's a flash flood warning. He needs to get out, and he stays in his house, and the, finally the. Neighbor comes by in a boat and says, "Hey, John, come on, get in the get in the boat. I'll take you out of here." He goes, "No, go on. The Lord's gonna save me." <laughs> anyway, it keeps raining. Now he's on the second floor of his house, and the uh, the Coast Guard comes by in a motorboat. John, come out of your house. You know, come out the second story window. We'll take you out of here. He says, "Go on, go on. The Lord's gonna save me." Oh, it keeps on raining. John gets up on his roof. The water's rising. He's hanging onto the chimney and. Helicopter comes and drops down a rope. They're, you know, John Smith, grab the rope. And he says, go on, the Lord's going to save me. And sure enough, it keeps raining, and John John dies, goes up to heaven. And he's pretty hot about the whole thing. Uh, Understandably. So, right. so. so he asks to go see God, and God takes an audience with him and says, well, how, how are things, John? He said, well, they're fine. They're nice. It's nice up here, but I'm kind of upset i thought you were going to save me he said well john i sent you two boats and a helicopter which more did you want so mason read the power of one i will do it i have a copy you won't leave here today without a copy it's phenomenal i'm kind of jealous you get to do it in fact i read it when i was a 10th grader and i ran cross country and track in high school i love to do and there was this one race it was called the it was called Kenny Olympics, basically. And it, it was a regional race, and you had to come in top 10. No, you had to come in top eight to be able to go to the national one. So basically the mm-hmm. national, they divided the U.S. up into five different quadrants, and the top eight from each quadrant. Got would go to this. Yep. And I wanted so badly to get in the top eight. And so I stole my favorite line from The Power of One, and I had it written everywhere. It's all I thought about when I was running. It's all I would think about, which is first with your head and then with your heart. Huh. And so if everything in life, you just first think through it. Like first do the smart thing, like the, st- the strategic thing. And then you got to just be all heart. Yeah. So I love that. It's That's one of my favorite takeaways I'll look for from that. It. I'll look for that in the copy that, oh, you, uh, do. that you give me. Mason, what is your favorite book and why? Well, I, uh, you know, I asked that question the other day to someone and I asked you and, you know, just like 
a good teacher, I don't really have the answer <laughs> to the question that I asked. <laughs> Just ask the kids. Yeah. <laughs> They'll teach the class. They'll figure it out. <laughs> um, I, you know, like you, I have books that sort of come in to play at different points in my life and that have served certain purposes. So when I think about books, like my favorite books, I actually sometimes have to put them in a specific moment in my own history. And um, in, so I, there are plenty of books that were super entertaining or taught me something or amazed me or inspired me or whatever. But just off the top of my head, um, I think about um, this very intense conversation that I had with someone. Um, and the book, we were talking about a book. And the book was Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield, which is about, it's a fictional retelling of the battle of the Spartans at Thermopylae. So, you know, the the famous story is there were 300 Spartans and they um, went to defend the kingdom in this one pass where they knew where the um, Persian army was going to have to come. And it's, that was an historical event and it's been written about a gazillion different ways. But this guy, Stephen Pressfield took a different slant on it and he told the story in a very, very innovative and exciting way. But that's not the point of saying why the book is so good. The book is about, it's about courage and endurance. And, and it's not really about the military part, although that's part of it. But do you think you'll read the book? Because I don't want to ruin it. Well, no, it's okay. The great part about having a friend like me, I don't have a perfect memory okay <laughs> which is saying it's okay. slightly so you can tell me and okay. then i will be surprised when i read the book because that's actually germane to the story so um and if anybody listening to this if you think you're going to read it just you can stop right now and then resume later but the 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 whole twist of the book is that um <clears throat> that the king, Leonidas, picks the 300 to go in this detachment, knowing that not none of them are coming back. And he states at, towards the end that he did not pick them because they were the best warriors. He did not pick them because... They were the strongest or most ferocious. He, um, he says, he says, um, because he could, you know, he, he only picked 300 for, for this That's one right. group. The rest of them were going to stay back. And he said, the reason why I picked these 300 is for their women, their wives, their mothers, and their sisters, because their strength would be the ones that would carry the nation on because these guys were not coming back. Oh, wow. So <clears throat> I had one conversation with someone at the end of his life, and we were talking about that book. 
and we were talking about that moment. And this guy says, I never understood it, but courage is a feminine quality. It's not about strength and beating other people. It is about your capacity to endure. That's what my friend said. And three months later, he was dead. Wow, Mason. That's amazing. So that, I, I don't know. It. I, I mean, the book is so intertwined with this. With this experience. Very poignant moment in my life. That you probably don't know which is your experience and which is the book in some ways. Uh, in some I mean, ways, they all yeah. go together. Yeah. Isn't it incredible that, that books can do that so viscerally? Isn't it amazing whether they give you an idea that you then bring into your own life or that they, t they rescue you from your own life? I mean, there, right. there are certainly times where I feel you, it's, you, reading might be the way to live the longest. Because you live, if, if living is collecting experiences, if living is making friends, if living is, you know, going to different lands and tasting the fruits of whatever that land has to offer, then reading is the sort of answer to living. You can have your own real life, right? But then you right. also have these stories that you disappear into and then you bring something back. It's like when you're father used to go on a trip and bring back the peanuts mm -hmm. from the airplane. Oh, that's right? a great analogy. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. We bring things back. And I, I've started, when I read a book, so often I'm so taken away with it that I feel like I feel like I want to continue the conversation in some way. And so I've started to write to the author after reading the book, only I don't ever send the letter. I just take the letter oh. and I put it in the book. In the book. And oh, that's a great idea. I just read this book, Barefoot to Avalon, by one of my favorite authors, David Payne. And he, um, he, he reads, just writes such great books. But this one was a book about his life and growing up, actually about him. And afterwards, I felt I had such a connection to him. And I wanted to, to, ha I wanted to be a part of the conversation. So now I just write to the author my thoughts that, and feelings and emotions that get stirred up during this adventure that we've been on together and then slide it into the book and leave it there. Do you think you'd ever send it to the author? I'd love to. It just says an administrative thing. I'm not great with administrative <laughs> things, Mason. I could certainly send it to the author. That's wonderful. Yeah. But now that it's here, I mean, I, I wrote this one. I said I just read this book. It was probably a year and a half ago. And now that the letter's here, I kind of like that it's Right. Here in the book and the next person who reads it right. can have a conversation with me, right? Or something. And that that is such an important point that I think we alluded to at least initially in this conversation or we've talked about it in other times is that the book itself is a physical artifact. It is permanent. I mean, yes, a book can be destroyed. I know that. But <laughs> but it is it is a, an artifact. It is a thing. That book with that letter is like no other book. That's not digital. It's not somebody else's copy or whatever. So someone in your family, years down the road, when they're looking at that's right. Grandma, or, Coco's, or someone, or, yeah, or someone know, in a thrift shop who, when someone, or, yeah. you know, whatever, it's yeah. it's it's sort of They'll there and a it. part of it, which is kind of neat. I, I love just that. I can tell you this: the one thing, and I will leave. I know we don't have any more time, but nothing makes me happier 
nothing would make me happier than just rooms with bookshelves filled with books. I think bathrooms, why don't bathrooms, I know the answer because of moisture, but if you mm-hmm. lived in a world where you didn't know the answer, <laughs> why aren't there, isn't yeah. there a bathtub with bookshelves all around it? So you're just in the bathtub and you reach up and you get a book. That's a cool And you just idea. read it and there's a big light above it and maybe there's secondhand copies, so who cares if you drop it in the tub, you put it back up there. It's just, it's just that's what I want. There's did, my dream. Uh, did you, did <laughs> that reminded me, did you ever see the Cheers episode? <laughs> When, so, I mean, I, it's so long I'll probably get the characters' names wrong. But so there was Sam was the bartender, sure. right? And then who was the woman who it, it, that she was sort of bookish and that's and, right, but very attractive. Uh, the very same attractive, time. yeah. And oh gosh, I wish I could remember her name. Well, anyway, she, you know, so she had this. She had gotten this autographed copy. Of, I believe it was an Ernest Hemingway book, and I think it was The Sun Also Rises, but I I, I could be wrong. But I no that that wasn't it. It was um maybe it was Farewell to Arms. I can't remember. But anyway, so she has this autographed first edition. It's hugely valuable, and so she has it, and she's like, Sam, can you put it in the safe? I'll come back and get it tomorrow, and because it's so valuable. And he says, Oh sure. And so he's he's taking the book and he's putting it in the safe and he, he you know Sam's not a cerebral guy but he he starts he starts reading through he it. Start, he he opens it up and he starts reading it and then they show him sort of sit back and he starts reading it. Oh right? no! So then the next day she comes to get the book and she's like he's like a uh, little problem. <laughs> And the book, you've seen a book that's been totally doused with water, right? Strangely, m- very recently. <laughs> yeah. And my daughter left her brand new book outside in the rain. So, okay, yes. So, yeah. So, the you, pages, pages swell. swell and so does the cover of the book. <laughs> so does the cover. And autographs. Autographs sort of disappear. They do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so she comes in, and that, that's the state of this book. <laughs> and she's like, what the hell happened? And apparently, and so the story is that Sam becomes enchanted by the book and starts reading it, and he's not really a, a big reader. And he takes it home and he's reading it in, in the, the tub. bathtub. <laughs> and there's a scene where a guy gets his <laughs> private parts blown off, and so he goes oh like this and drops the book oh, into no. the water. <laughs> <laughs> so books book. and tubs might not go together. <laughs> maybe, maybe they not. may not go together. But I like the idea. Well, this has been really fun. So thanks again. I didn't know where this conversation was going to go, and that's the fun of it. I think we could have about 12 different episodes on I books so because we there's do, just we, so much. There's too much. Maybe we'll do another one in the future on just children's books. Oh, yes. That right there. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. And share with any of your friends you think might enjoy being a part of this conversation. We'd also love to hear your thoughts and stories, so visit us at www.igotoneforya.com or email us directly at igotoneforya.podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>